Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are 17 days away from the start of Penn State training camp. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, and your questions are on the top of our mind today on the BWI Daily Edition. It's the BWI Mailbag with host... Thomas Frank Carr, and of course, our senior editor, Nate Bauer. Let's get into it. A big day in Penn State recruiting coming up almost directly after this show. But before that, we're getting to your questions. The BWI Mailbag here on Thursdays, one of my favorite shows to do in the week because, as you just said before the show started, Nate Bauer, we're just going to sit and chat. We're just going to have a conversation with uh, all, all of our friends over at the Lions and Message Forum here on YouTube. Nate, how are you doing this Thursday? I'm great. The the uh, the British Open is on, so we gotta we gotta fly through this, T Frank, so I can watch some Tiger Woods. Last time, probably. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We also have to fly through it because we air at 3 o'clock on YouTube. And at 4 o'clock, Tony Rojas, four-star linebacker, one of the crown jewels and most important players in the class of 2023, is making his announcement. So we're going to fly through the show today. We've got more questions than ever. I want to satisfy your curiosities. But to start with, we are going to go rapid fire through some. We're going to have a fun time today answering questions from the Lions Den message forum. Let's get into it. Of course, the best way to get your questions on the BWI Mailbag Show is to ask them, as I just said, at the Lion's Den message forum, where if you subscribe right now for $1, you get 12 months of access to Blue White Illustrated. Uh, and that means you've got tw- 52. I don't know if we're going to do it every week of the year, but a lot of mailbags to get your questions answered on the show. So sign up right now and get all that information, all that access. We are just days away from the start of Penn State training camp. I can feel the anticipation, the excitement, and the work anxiety building in my brain by the day. Oh, it's fun. Stop (laughs) it. It is fun. It is fun. But I'm very serious about having fun. That's why that's in my Twitter bio. I take having fun very seriously. That's why I, I bought brand new lights for the studio that uh, uh for the year so we're good to go we're gonna have the highest quality fun you can possibly have or else okay let's get through some rapid fire questions here uh these are some fun ones to start off get us all warmed up get the juices flowing chris 92 asked true or false a true freshman will appear on the two deep depth chart heading into west lafayette nate Yeah, well, first of all, uh, nothing is actually rapid fire here. Uh, <laughs> as long as love, I'm your, guest. I love rapid fire. Yeah. Pause. Yeah. Um. Well. <laughs> so, uh, this is my smart Alec answer is false because okay. Penn State won't release an official depth chart. Uh, now oh, we're doing in, that again this year. That's right. Yeah. Uh, just that's. I'm sorry. I apologize. I in reality. That. In reality, will any of the true freshmen be first or second string? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It's it's sure. already like in the too deep or, you know, game day participants. You know, that's another way of, I think, looking at that. And that's an absolute truth. I, I don't yeah. I don't see it. any other way going into the season for that to play out unless somebody's injured. Yeah. No, I mean, if yeah. Uh, you know, it's like one of those like technicalities, right? Where uh, if if someone isn't on the field second or first, does it mean that it's just yes for practical purposes? Yes, somebody somebody among the true freshman class, the class of two thousand twenty two, will be in the two deep. I miss the sure. or because you could say you know somebody's on the third line but it says or like Correct. let's 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 pinpoint it the running back position could have a starter and then four players basically listed as number 2 
with an or, 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 or. So you're starting to sound like a seal. Yeah. Or, or uh, you're starting to sound like PJ Fleck when you're trying to row the boat. Uh, is there going to be more of a two running back rotation this season with Nick Singleton and Ke- and Kevon Lee, or possibly a three man rotation with Katron Allen, assuming that Pensy can run the ball better than last year? So, kind of going right off of that, getting into the specifics of the first question, what do you think? Two or three or what? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that these things are decisions that are made for the coaching staff, but I would say fairly confidently that the Penn State's approach is they would love to have, their ideal would be to have three running backs getting um, some sort of fairly equitable rotation, right? Uh, whether it's quarter by quarter, whether it's series by series by series, um, it, the, the more players that you have that I, I think that four is hard, right? Like four creates challenges. It's, it's hard to make everyone happy. Um, and so no one's happy in a four man kind of rotation, but for three, that's the ideal. And so if somebody emerges to the point where you have no choice, but to have one guy getting right, um, 50% and then the other two split the other 25 and 25. Yeah, that can happen. But if, if they could get it to a point where it's 33, 33, 33. Yeah. I think that that's what Penn state's ideal would be at that position. I was going to say, Nate, you're terrible at rapid fire, but this is actually pretty rapid for us. So the best possible player, uh, the, 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 the most deserving players are going to see carries and, what determines the most deserving players is how much they elevate each each other in the competition. So if that's three running backs, as you just eloquently described as the equal uh, distribution of carries, or if somebody takes the lead, they're they're going to give everyone deserving of carries. They're gonna they're gonna have a role. They're gonna see the football. So I think it could be three, and then maybe even a fourth player that has a gadget role. Looking at you, Devin Ford, as a guy that is maybe not used pr- primarily as a runner, but yep. sees touches, sees some slot carries, some jet sweeps. Who knows? You know, I, I'm yep. I'm making stuff up off the top of my head, but that's kind of what I look at. Is uh, you get a four running backs that see the ball, but maybe only three get carries. Next one comes from Gors- Gorski Lion. Thomas, please tell me that the O-line will improve and make me believe you. Well, if you're phrasing it that way, you're already disinclined to believe your the, your question. So I'll just tell you the same thing I tell everyone else when they ask me questions like that. If you want absolution, go find a religion because you will not find that from football. So, um, Nate, why don't you start first and then I will bring us home with my most eloquent, passionate speech about rationality. Yeah. Is did the offensive line suffer any injuries to any of its starters in preseason camp? Right. I'm asking in past tense while camp is still two weeks away. Yeah. And so if the answer to that is no, that they have no injuries and all of the projected starters or all of the right. I mean, we're really talking yep. about six players, um, Sal Wormley and Hunter Norzad figuring that out at right guard is going to be important, but otherwise you're, you're more or less looking at Olu Fashanu at left tackle. Um, you are looking at Landon Tangwall at left guard, Juice Scruggs at center, Norzad or Wormley at right guard, and Caden Wallace at right tackle. If, if those six go into the season healthy and stay healthy, Penn State's offensive line will be better unequivocally than it was last season. I apologize for doing my research on the spot, but I was thinking about this when I was preparing the questions for today, and I want to make sure I get this all accurate. So um, give me one second. I mean, I can keep talking if that helps you. No, we're good. I think we're good to go. Okay, so let's talk about the interior, just the interior of the Penn State offensive line. Last year, Eric Wilson, 300 pounds. Mike Miranda, 305. Juice Scruggs was the biggest player last year at 310. Okay, that was the interior. Now let's go left to right of the players you just described, and I'm going to use Hunter Norzad as the starter because that's my projection going forward. He's not not coming back from an injury. He's 315 pounds. Okay, so I I spoiled the surprise, but 332, Landon Tangwall. Yep. 
315 ish juice scrugs more like 320 but yeah continue. and then 315 hunter norzad those are the official listed weights last year juice scrugs was the biggest player at 310 size isn't everything but when your biggest player last year is your smallest player this year, you have significantly more strength, mass, size, power. And these are all, I think, comparable athletes to what they were last year. So Penn State has gotten bigger, faster, and stronger just on the interior. Caden Wallace, again, we you featured him earlier this week. I did an article about him a week and a half ago about how he's improved in some areas. He's been focusing on the right stuff when it comes to the offensive line and his position, his areas of weakness, trying to make those strengths, bend, flexibility, mobility. He's been working on all that this offseason. And then you've got a guy who we cannot shut up about in Ola Fashanu at left tackle. We've talked about him so much as the next thing, the next super athlete at left tackle. So the, I, I, I don't see a way it's worse unless the left side of the line, those two young new players don't get up to speed in time. Yeah, that would be the only thing. And then and then you might have some I, w- I would have some legitimate questions then about coaching because these are two players that have obvious talent that are obviously talented. Then we would, you know, the all of the, I think, incorrect conversation about um, Phil Troutwine. I w- we would start to have that conversation, I think, a little more rationally going forward. Next was, question. Uh, Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just going to ask, I mean, was there anything about Tangwall's performances against Rutgers and in the bowl that made you think that he is not going to live up to no. those expectations? Exactly. Nope. And a guy that has been coached by Phil Troutwine the whole time and somebody yep. that has been, you know, came in with a certain profile and has been better than that profile so, you know, we're talking in hypotheticals. So the hypothetical of why should they be better? I think there's a very rational case that they absolutely should be better than they were last season. And I w- there was somebody else on our lines that message board, and now I'm derailing us, of hoping for significant improvement or, you know, something like that. You don't have to be significantly improved to be better. You know, like they were they were. They were not good last year, but there were parts of their game that were acceptable, where they yeah. were good in pass protection for the most part. You know, I think there were parts of the offensive line that functioned at times. But if you look at the totality, and also if you don't know what you're looking at, then you'll just say the whole thing was terrible. Right. I think you can see improvement without being all All-Americans. Yep. So, uh, let's move on. Chris yeah. Molnar asks, what walk-ons could be contributors this year? Interesting question. Uh, other than the usual spe- suspects, are there any surprise true freshmen you could see playing this year? More than four games. Uh, Gunners on punt coverage this year. Uh, those are three questions. I thought that for that second one was the same question. Uh, so let's any walk-ons you're interested in this year that you're keeping an eye on? So uh, his, stati- his scholarship status is actually unclear, but... Uh, Barney and Boer is the one who jumps out to me as most likely. And I know that's not what everyone wants to hear, if anyone wants to hear that. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> if Barney and Moore has a pretty good chance of winning the punting job. Uh, if yeah. not Barney and Moore, then Gabe Nwosu certainly has mm-hmm. an opportunity as well. Um, Alex Paquetta is the one who, you know, they're going to have to beat out. And Alex is a scholarship punter. But yeah, there's two options right there who could probably win a starting job and be the guy that you see at that position this season. So counterpoint. Yeah. Counterpoint ever. And I'm going to point at you counterpoint. Everyone would feel much better if there weren't walk on players contributing, because it means that your scholarship players, the ones that you've identified as great talent are all producing to that level. So maybe it is what they want to hear. There's not really a path for a lot of players at the moment. Penn state fans love walk-ons there's a they do there is a cachet to and i you know i don't hate it there's a little bit of that um mentality of go getting and yeah i I got no problem with it there have been lots and lots of walk-ons who have done very good things at penn state yeah yeah um so i'll i'll give the only one that i can think of uh that has a is mason stall a a scholarship player he is not. He's a walk-on, and he is a receiver this year after yes. playing quarterback last year. 
unfortunately for him, there is a lot of depth there. But I yeah. liked what I saw from him in the spring game. He was toasting starters, uh, you know, in the seven on seven. He was his releases were really good and he's fast. He was winning a lot of the uh, the competitions and some of the speed stuff during the winter conditioning period. So I, I was going to go with Dominic DeLuca. You know, after what he did in, in the blue-white game, but I, I thought Mason Stahl had a lot of talent. I really liked watching him play. Um, I don't know, maybe he's six foot six, you know, somewhere six one, somewhere in there. I don't know yeah. if he can play in the slot, uh, but the problem is there's just so much other talent at the receiver position. There's such great volume there. So I think he's going to be a contributor this year, but I, I, I don't know if it'll be at receiver, but yeah. I'm glad I thought of that one. Cause I wanted to give a shout out to Mason stall. He was super underrated in the spring game for all the players we did talk about. Okay. This one is from nitwit 13. Wait, 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 what? Wait. what? We didn't handle the gunners and we didn't handle the true freshmen because I didn't want play to the surprise. <laughs> uh, well, I'm I'll, I'll counter off of the point about Dominic DeLuca and say KJ Winston is one of my surprises that is going to see playing time behind Jonathan Sutherland because there is no depth at that position right now. There right. is one player and then DeLuca. So if he can, th that's the opportunity. If he can fend off Tyrese Mills and KJ Winston is the guys I'm, uh, pegging as the as the as the field backers this year if he can fend those guys off then i think he has a chance to to see some time but both of those players are very talented players and kj winston is super smart i think he can play multiple positions uh, it'll just be how long does it take him to acclimate seeing as he was not an early enrollee uh here at penn state and then i'll just finish off with uh mason stall same answer for gunner as a gunner as a gun why not yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I was going to say, uh, look for <clears throat> the receiver tree to put some in gunner positions. That yeah. was um, a spot that they were practicing in the in the spring. That and Terry Smith is in charge of those guys, um, but they'll they'll find somebody. They've been very successful uh, at at that gunner spot. So it's not you a think? small thing to have someone who's reliable um, in those filling those positions. Just. Outside the box, because, you know, now we're talking about Malik Mega as a gunner. Humongous he was, dude. Yep, he was practicing at, at gunner. And funny enough, I was able to talk to Drew Hartlob at Pro Day. And he talked, you know, I asked, like, what what translates uh, in being able to, um, you know, to be a gunner? Like, what do you need to be a, a good gunner? And he was just like, there's a lot of receiver skills that carry over in terms of getting off press. of a jam, getting yep. off the line, uh, and then going. So I, I think, yeah, those are some of the skills that you should look for and have been successful per, for Penn State in the past. Uh, let's get to Nitwit13. Thank you, by the way, for uh, making sure, holding me to it and answering all the questions there, because that was a good conversation. I like that. Uh, so TSC and Ryan mentioned uh, their 15 four-star threshold that Penn State needs to get to to finish with a top 10 class. First thought is who's left on the board that Penn State can get to commit. The next question is, and the real question here is, do you think Alex Birchmeyer finishes as a five-star? And are there currently any three-star players that can climb into a four-star tier? So to the first part, they're going to get to that point most likely uh, here in the next couple of days because there are both strong picks. Everyone seems to be on the same page about Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson joining the Nittany Lions. That's two more four stars. I think that gets them to 14. So that would be uh, 13 and 14 by Friday. So they're going to be there already. But if Alex, and this is, the, this is a great question, because if Alex Birchmeyer does become a five-star, that elevates the overall average of the class, and then it bumps up the value of all those other players behind him. And then for the three-star, I think there are a couple. Uh, one of the ones I've been looking at this year is Anthony Donko, six foot five, 315 pounds. He's been learning a lot in pass protection this year. It's something he talked about. He going into the, from the spring into the summer that he wanted to focus on. He's been getting a lot of good teaching, a lot of mini camps up here at Penn state with Phil Troutwine. That changed my opinion, by the way, of his profile, seeing like the work you can get in the off season outside of your, just your high school. So I'm I'm excited to watch his film this fall to see what he's been able to take from that and play with because he's everything about him is a four star other than he is so raw it's hard to see. 
Do you have any thoughts on this one? Nope. <laughs> You're our class ranking guy, so I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk uh, about the class ranking overall. Do you think we're going to yeah. finish the top 10? Are they going to finish in the top 10? Um, maybe. Uh, if you If you look... There are Penn State is on the upper tier of total commits in that top yeah. 10. And so some of the teams that are sitting there at kind of five, six, seven with eight commits, 10 commits, right, have a lot of space to jump in the rankings, depending on how they kind of finish out their classes. So, yeah, but I think, you know, they'll be right there 10, 9, 12. Yeah. Uh, a lot of those, by the way, I'm, I'm pulling it up right now so we can all look at it together. Um, a lot of those teams have kind of made that move as well. So we just check it out here on the, uh, on three, uh, team rankings, Ohio state, Notre Dame, Alabama, they have been fighting for that top spot. Alabama has jumped up now with a couple of five-star commitments in the last couple of days. I think Miami is going to finish near the top five. They are now trending for, uh, Samson Okunlola, who is one of my favorite prospects. They're going to have two five-star offensive linemen in their class. Mario Cristobal already doing big work there. So those teams are locked in ahead of Penn State. Georgia, you just assume they're going to finish there. And then it comes down to what happens with Tennessee, LSU, USC, like this clump right here. Yep. And one of the other things that's going to happen is there are going to be more five stars minted over the next couple of year, uh, next couple of months, as they expand that to be thirty-two to the first round uh, number of players that that you know the on three ranking staff thinks will be guys that end up as first round picks. So do, do Javen Williams and do does Alex Birchmeyer do they fit that category? I think you could make a case for either of them. So that would go a long way into Penn State becoming a top 10 class. But there's there's a couple of teams underneath them that you would consider Oregon as a five star. But again, like you mentioned, they don't have a lot of recruits in these classes. USC, you assume they're going to make a move. So, uh, you know, it's 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 going to be close. It's going to be a close call here for Penn State. Um, okay, so Blue Hornet 22 asks, do we think Sutherland will wear zero since zero is the special team's captain number and he's going to be a starter on defense? So this is he's still going to be the special team's captain, even if he's a starter on defense. Right, Nate? Like you're not you're going to you're going to see a lot of Jonathan Sutherland this year playing on two teams. Yeah. Yeah. So he's still going to be number zero. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it would surprise me if he's not. I'm not really sure who else. Like, he he loves special teams. Yeah. He's really into it and obviously provides leadership in, in those roles. He's embraced it. I mean, he's kind of the model of what Penn State wants to see out of specifically that, right? Like, yeah, you, you want... You want non-walk-ons, right? So, so yes, yes, yes special teams are an opportunity for some walk-ons to, to shine, and they really make the most of the opportunity. But you also, and, and the second tier, I would call it, is freshmen, right? Freshmen, mm -hmm. sophomores who aren't going to play otherwise, um, who, who get that opportunity and also make the most of it. But what you really, really, really want is starters, veterans, 50-year guys, 60-year yep. guys who love special teams, who are so into it, who pay attention to the details, who know what to do, when to do it, and can create that model for everyone else to follow. And so, yeah, yeah John Sutherland has done that throughout his career at Penn State. There's a reason why he's been a captain for special teams before. He'll be a captain for special teams again. And it's his path to the NFL because yeah. he is a great athlete. He is... It's it's the path for a lot of people to the NFL. It's the differentiator. Yeah. So many people talk about that, that if, if this is what you want, uh, I had an interview with Stacy Collins earlier this summer where he literally said that he was like, if, if, if you don't establish that culture in your college football program, and he's been all over the place, right? Uh, a lot of places don't have it. They pay lip service. They, they talk about it. They say, yeah, we take special teams in, uh, seriously but they don't actually take it seriously. And the way that manifests itself is by not 
devoting practice time to it, by not devoting meeting time to it, by not uh, allowing the special teams coach to have access to players that are important on offense and defense to maximize what those units can do. And he said, hey, uh, if you want to play in the NFL, if you want to be on the 53-man roster, this is what you have to do. This is how you distinguish yourself is not just being willing to play special teams, but loving special teams and standing out on special teams. If you can do that, you'll find a role for yourself. And I think that honestly, if you look around the landscape of Penn State's current NFL players, a lot of those guys fill and fit that mold of guys who are performing on special teams and do it well. Yeah, at least again, at to start as rookies, because if you're a rookie and you're you, they want you to contribute and you need to, especially if you're a mid round pick, you need to provide maximum value. So guys that can provide that on special teams are very important, but more so than so a, a guy that stands out to me is Tyler Matakavich, who went to the Steelers and then the Bills later and was a special team starter like you, he was paid almost like a starter but he was a special teams captain. Uh, who's the guy for the New England Patriots? I can't remember his name. But uh, there are these guys that are like quintessential, essential parts of your team because they're so great at special teams. They're not a guy that you have for two or three years. Like you specifically seek these guys out. I see that as something Jonathan Sutherland can be in the future because he is so athletic. He's got starter level athleticism, but the instincts and everything else really hasn't worked out for him so far. We'll see if he can do that going forward, but he's, you know, he's in that situation of he's six foot, 205 pounds and needs to play a position that doesn't exist in the NFL. So that's going to be tough for him going forward to see a spot where he plays on defense, but special teams, I can, I can definitely see that. Uh, We have our first sponsor here on the BWI Daily Edition. Have you been looking for a reliable source of Penn State football tickets? Jim at TixmanJim.com, formerly PSUTixman.com, has been running his ticket exchange in Wilmington, Delaware for over 25 years. Every buyer is handled with courtesy, respect, and every ticket purchased is guaranteed. Proceeds are used to fund the PSU AA Chapter Scholarship Fund and the PSU Levi Lamb Fund for athletic scholarships. Get your home opener tickets, your Ohio State stripe out tickets, and your Minnesota homecoming white out tickets. Go now to TixmanJim.com or email TixmanJim at gmail.com or call 302-521-8380. That's 302-521-8380. And you can see his, if you're watching here on YouTube, you can check out his, uh, his website here at the bottom of the screen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So getting back to the BWI mailbag show, we're going to go on to Arun, who has a question. He's a new member at Blue White Illustrated. Thank you for signing up. Thank you for being a part of the team, Arun. What position group do you feel are the most efficient going into the season? And do you feel upgrades being done in the Lash building and bringing up to par with other Big Ten programs? We'll get to that one in a second. First off, deficient position groups heading into the season is there any place that you look at and go Penn State is not maybe they're in a precarious position heading into Big Ten play Hmm. I I think that injuries on the offensive line would be devastating so precarious yeah that would that would qualify Um, you know in the defensive line I think is a concern I, I think both Right. And so much of what happens is dictated by the success of those two groups that, yeah, if 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 the players who currently are aligned or penciled in as starters, who the expectations are the highest, if those all work out, right, if those all (laughs) happen, they all hit, 
then they're fine. Not only are they fine, I think they can have a really good season. I think Penn State mm-hmm. football can have a really good season. If there's adversity there uh, in the form of injury, setbacks, suspensions, whatever, whatever it is, right? Because that's what happened last year. <laughs> yeah. You know, by, by midway through the season, three quarters of the defensive line was not who was anticipated to be there before the season. So, yeah, I mean, th- those are those are two groups, and then obviously linebacker. But um, beyond that, I, I think that they have a, a fairly you're- solid outlook <laughs> at the rest of... You're helping everybody out here. Like, yeah, everyone's solid. I have concerns about the offensive line, the defensive line, and linebacker. <laughs> I'm, I, my no, I, my I main concern... Saying. Yeah, my main concern on Penn State's behalf is just... Because this is what you see, is depth. Right, yeah. like f- nobody gets through the season without having setbacks in injuries. It just but does is, not happen. Is is this? I I'm starting to think this is every program now where you can't hoard talent the same way because the transfer portal allows you to go somewhere else and play if you if you feel like you've made a mistake or you feel like there's no path to the field. So you know, I don't know. This is a uniquely Penn State problem uh, to start with. That's that's the first thing I want to say. Okay. Secondly. I think defensive end is fine. Terms and conditions apply. All the guys, like you just said, the yep. players that are there now all have to perform up to expectations. Uh, I actually am a little bit more optimistic, even about the depth of the offensive line. Terms and conditions apply there as well. I need to know. James Franklin mentioned JB Nelson being a part of the competition on the interior. He's built himself back up a little bit. He was kind of looked a little thin at the at the spring game, like he had lost a little. He got a little too far into the losing the bad weight, needed to add some more good weight. So is Vega Iwane a part of that conversation? Because if he is, I have, if he can get up to speed and be a part of that interior, you've got a couple of massive movement players on the interior. And that kind of protects the the the, the tackles as well because Landon Tangwell can kick out there. Hunter Norzad played tackle for a long time emergency situation he could kick back out there and then you've got depth and talent on the interior but it is about getting those guys up to speed physically or or mentally um the one place i look at is that one technique and i don't know that there's a huge difference here because uh manny diaz wants you to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage anyway you're not going to be absorbing double teams a lot but somebody has to line up closer to the center like that's just how a four down front works so is PJ Mustafer healthy? And if he's not, I don't see the depth of pure like run first players or guys that can control that that double team because you've got Devon Ellis who struggled at it last year. He's got to be better this year. You got PJ Mustafer who's injured, and then you got my guy Jordan Vandenberg who I think can do it, but he would benefit from being the guy that's aggressive and penetrating and not being the guy hitting you know the double teams and all that stuff. So. Uh, I think that it's going to be fine, but I could see that one technique position. If some, again, if somebody gets hurt, maybe some issues there. Beaverman 72, which position battles are you most interested in heading into training camp? What a great transition here, Beaverman. Look at that. Which one of these competitions and why is it Mike linebacker? (laughs) Kicker and punter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm only accurate. (laughs) I'm mostly serious too. I I am anxious to see. I'm eagerly anticipating seeing how those positions shake out because I do think they're important. And I think that the, the players who are battling for it all have intriguing storylines behind them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, you know, Running back is going to be interesting. I think figuring out third slash fourth slash fifth receiver is going to be interesting. Tight end should be interesting. Um, you know, I think like I, I think that when you look across the field, there's there's a lot of hey, this is how we all thought it would play out, but mm-hmm. also no, somebody could make a move, right? Like there's there's potential for I think not necessarily starters losing jobs as much as backups chipping away and eating into starters playing time. Like that's a lot of the field. And you just, you just played right into the conversation I wanted to have of that defensive tackle position. So despite what I just said about maybe some of the sub issues within that group, 
it's going to be exciting to watch all of those players compete for playing time at defensive tackle. You've got three or four guys that I really like between Vandenberg, Zane Durant, Hakeem Beeman, and uh, I still hold out hope that Kaziah Izzard is going to be as explosive as he looked in high school and and look and flashed at times during the blue-white game. He did some good things during the blue-white game. So you got four guys right there. They're kind of all three techniques, but again, does that matter? Trying to learn more about Manny Diaz's defense, and I think it's just going to be get the guys on the field that perform the best at winning their gap and ruining the day of the offensive lineman across from them. So I don't think that even my concern about that one technique is, is entirely founded because I don't know that that's how it's really going to play out. Um, So I'd say defensive tackle. And then secondarily, I don't know that tight end is a competition. We're going to get to it in a little bit here with one of our other questions. So I'll move on to safety. Yeah, I was just, I was going to follow you up safety for sure. I think it's just going to be fun watching guys that are talented, push guys that are talented, that are the starters. Yep. You know, like Zaki Wheatley, there is legitimate hype behind him being a, a talented player and being a guy that makes a serious impact this year. So can he eat into the reps that he becomes the starter? Can he flip that percentage or or is it he going to be a role player in the secondary? Here's Keaton an Ellis. No one talks about Keaton Ellis. Yeah. Well, that's the other that's the other half of that coin. So that's that's exactly what I'm talking about is Keaton Ellis and Zaki Wheatley. Those two guys are going to battle it out, I think, at that field safety position for who's going to be the guy that is in there uh, making plays because it, you got to make plays now. It's not about being dependable. Wheatley can get the but ball. That's that's the question, though, because Manny Diaz said it right. Uh, if you make a mistake at safety, it's a home run. It's a touchdown. There's no yeah. one behind that safety. And so do you want Mr. Reliable, who nobody talks about because he's reliable, Keaton Ellis, or do you want the guy who is going to make interceptions, right? That who just the ball is attracted to him. I like, I think that that's a legitimate conversation and a legitimate give and take that they're going to have to, to make in terms of decisions um, for that spot. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, that's why it's in it. That's why it's a great battle going into training camp. And I think it, you notice how neither of us really mentioned the middle linebacker spot. They're both going to play like I, yeah, and they're, they're going to be fine. They're yeah. going to be fine. They're better. They're better than they anticipated. They're like, both of those guys are, uh, uh, is it further or far further along? <laughs> it's not farther. Farther is a, a measure of distance. So <laughs> I would have used them synonymously. So you're ahead of me in this conversation. This is a question from last week that I really wanted to get to, but I, for some reason it didn't show up in, in the list of questions we had. So DG numbers at uh, the lines and message form asks, will this Manny Diaz defense return to what was pre-2021 Brent Pry in terms of getting after the quarterback and trying to get sacks instead of playing more of a contained rush? Penn State was third behind Clemson and Bama for a four-year stretch with only uh, one of a few teams with 40 sack seasons. Defensive end is a question mark, but the scheme that makes the result possible uh, for that talent to show up on the field. This is a great question. This is something that I've been wondering and we've been talking about for quite a bit. Is there anything in your conversation with him that leads you one way or the other in this co- in this particular vein of thought? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the question is John Scott's role in all of this because certainly it seems to me as though Manny Diaz prioritizes and values splash plays um, on the defensive line, right? You you want sacks, uh, you want tackles for loss, and you certainly want uh, strip sacks. All of those things are game-changing plays. Uh, When John Scott replaced Sean Spencer, the conversation changed to, hey, and again, I'm, I'm speaking peripherally here, but the conversation changed to, we have found, yes, we still want sacks, but we have found that there is a vulnerability that 
reveals itself repeatedly. And I and yeah. I, I think that that was a fair critique or like a self critique of yeah. running quarterbacks, not just running quarterbacks, but any time that that pass rush didn't get home, Penn State was really suffering some kind of iconic backbreaking third and long yep. scrambles that were yep. going for first downs and keeping drives alive. Defense couldn't get off the field. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, it's, it's hard to quibble when the defense has been as consistently good as it has been for Penn state. Obviously that's why Brent Pry has a, a head coaching job right now is that he has demonstrated that. But if there was an argument to be made, it's, Hey, your focus on getting those sack numbers and having those types of plays is creating a a bigger vulnerability than honestly I think that they were comfortable with. So yeah, yeah. that's a that's a balance that I think is going to have to figure itself out. I I don't I don't really have a sense of that right now uh, because so, I go ahead. Let me let me explain uh, what I what I see as the difference here. So one of the main things about Brent Pry was in those situations that you talked about, you play zone coverage. They would drop into spot zones in third and whatever it was, and they would rush four. And the way it works is that there are four defensive linemen and five offensive linemen, which means if you're not in your gap as a pass rusher in your pass rushing lane and the quarterback breaks the pocket, you've created that space, right? Yep. So it is a very standard, here's what we're doing. We'll disguise the coverage, but you you kind of know what we're going to do. And then um, with Manny Diaz, I think the thing that you know he's going to do is throw something crazy at you. So he might bring four, but four of them are coming from one side of the offensive line. Like, you know, in hyperbole here, it might be a, it might be a rusher. There might be a stunt on top of a twist on top of a blitz. You might have, and that creates free runs of the quarterback. So then the quarterback doesn't have anywhere to go because you have defeated not just with your own talent, but you've defeated with scheme and speed, the ability to get to the quarterback. What that does, and this is the whole conversation I've been having in my head this offseason is when you blitz, you leave yourself vulnerable. If you don't get home, what you have done is you've taken players out of coverage and you have given the quarterback more time to look at it. So it is risk-reward, but that's where the defensive coordinator and the talent have to mesh of put your players in position to succeed. And if you get a one-on-one -on -one block, you have to beat it. If you're, if you're, if you're um, Curtis Jacobs and you get a free run at a running back, there's no you hit him and you disrupt the play. You've yeah. got to make that guy a speed bump to the quarterback. Like that's that's you've got to you've got to capitalize on that because you've been given the rush that can change the play. And if the quarterback gets out of that, that's the danger where then you've got, I don't care if it's zone or man, if you've got five guys in the pass pattern and five guys covering that's man coverage, your single coverage in the state in the secondary, that's a big thing. And that's one, that's one of the reasons I want to know, are they going to go after it or are they going to play more of that contain? So that it was a great question I wanted to get to last week. And uh, you know, I'm excited to find that particular answer out over the first three weeks of the season. Our next question yep. is <laughs> sorry, I had to go from I had to go from no, analyst analyst to host. And there's just slight pause. Uh Ken H on Twitter asks PSU fans should feel better about the season if blank has a strong fall camp. I'll, I'll just continue the conversation. Chop Robinson. You had answers the question without having to even ask it is if you've got a Disa, I, I guess it would be a Disa Isaac and Chop Robinson. But one of those guys yeah. has a strong camp. Penn State has a very potent pass rush heading into the first game. I think a lot of the defensive problems are solved. At that point, I'm I'm less concerned about the interior because that'll shake itself out. What about you? I'm gonna I'm gonna curveball you here. Uh Mike Yersich. Mm. If Mike Yersich has a strong fall camp then Penn State fans should feel better. And what I mean by I, that... I like that. Do you like that? I like that a lot. Yeah, because here's the thing. Sean Clifford is what he is. I, I, you could say both of them in tandem, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think so much of what Penn State does this season will be dictated by this 
dual comfort level that has to exist between quarterback and the offensive coordinator. If the offensive coordinator is not comfortable, if if Mike Yurcich isn't comfortable, and there's no reason to believe that he won't be. I think that that was a storyline through the spring and summer that he, he, he feels better, right? I mean, Sean yeah. Clifford talked about it with me, that, that he felt as though his grasp of the offense allowed Mike Yursich to have fewer reservations and, and just, it, it's, it's all about expanding, right? Call uh, what you want, not what you feel like you have to call. Correct. That's how many, that's how the many, situation. How many ingredients are in the kitchen for the cook to work with? Right. Yeah. Remember top chef and they'd have to pick out seven the things box. from a vending machine and you, yeah. you, you kind of figure it out and make it work and Cheetos. It was disgusting. Um, if you are presented a basket, a cornucopia of ingredients that you feel good about how they can all work together or not, right. You extract some when you don't need to use the garlic, right? Like it's, it's simply a matter of, uh, can you compose right with no inhibition or restriction or, or not. And I, I think that last year, Here's another part of those meals. Another part of those meals is, is, and I I said this on the message board the other day, it's cohesion. Mm -hmm. It's, it's does, does your, do your garlic mashed potatoes work with your lamb? You got to make sure that the whole thing complements itself so that you have something that is not just a collection of good food or a collection of good plays, but it elevates it to something better. And that's where, that's what a system is. And you don't want to be married and a slave to your system. But if you believe in stuff and you, and I think we've seen that he can augment what he does to suit his talent. But if you feel good and you believe in certain tenants and you can't, you can't use those tenants in your offense, then you are not as good of a coordinator. And this year, I think they're going to be able to do that. Here's a great question. Injuries aside, will the linebackers who start game one be the same linebackers who start game 12 and Mike I don't think it's going to be the same linebacker that starts game one that starts game 12 like I don't think it's gonna be game two I think that there's going to be multiple guys playing that position especially at the mic next to Curtis Jacobs because we're taking Curtis Jacobs he's the starter we're eliminating any discussion of anything else there it's really the Mike linebacker position and and you've got guys that are sub 215 playing the striker position those are safeties. I'm not having the conversation again about those guys being linebackers. I'm just not going to do it until they move somebody over there. That is a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking about that. We have two box positions. That's it. So it's it's about those guys. And to me, it's whether it's two or three by the end of the season that are cycling in there at that position. I'll accept. I mean, I, I, I think that Elsden probably has the edge, but they're both. Yeah going to play with Kobe King. So um, I'll actually, I'll, yeah, I will say yes. Between those two box linebacker positions, Curtis Jacob and Tyler Elston will start every game. Yes. So start, but again, what does matter? Yeah. What does start mean? And this is the, this is what I'm trying to learn about Manny Diaz is what does he value at these positions? as opposed to what we've seen before. And if Kobe King is a, and Tyler Elson and Ellis Brooks really is the epitome of like, what's a good Brent prime Mike linebacker. What we're seeing from Manny Diaz in the conversations I'm, I'm hearing about recruiting and some of the other players that are being mentioned is that size matters and speed, like your biggest, fastest player. You're going to put it that Mike position. You want him to run, more so than you want him to be kind of the fluid between the tackles, defeat you with this caginess sort of guy. You want a guy that's explosive and downhill, but also can cover. Yeah. So uh, is this a situation like with Micah Parsons? How good is Abdul Carter? Because he's not going away in this conversation, even with the way they feel about the two uh, middle linebackers playing better in the spring. We're still hearing about Abdul Carter. So how good is he? Does he force himself into that conversation? Old Frog 26, what does it take to win the Outland Trophy, and does Landon Tagwell have a chance of winning one at Penn State? I love this question. This is a good question. Uh, Nate, 
other than social media vibes and uh, the stodgy media press, yeah. you know, uh, voting for people, I, I don't actually know what it takes to win any of these trophies. You got to be on a winning team, first off. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. Yeah. A lot of press clippings. I mean, some of it's ridiculous, right? Like, yeah. I, and again, I, I just, I love punting so much, but Jordan Stout didn't win any awards. He won the Big Ten Punter of the Year, but he didn't win any of the national awards last yeah. year when he was plainly the best punter in the country. Yeah. Um, and the NFL. One dude had that. a nickname of Punt God. So what are you going to do about that? I, exactly. You know, look, so no, I, I have, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe let me ask, let me answer the second part. Does he have a chance of winning one at Penn state? It is, it is very hard to do. Uh, but yes. So if you're an all American offensive lineman, and I think that's the upper end of Landon Tangwall's ability, then yes, you have a chance of winning the outland trophy. Philip in the Valley tight end group who gets the most snaps, the most receiving yards and the most receptions. Um, I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to throw, my dart into the wind about the top two receiving yards and receptions, but this is an interesting question about role in the offense. So yeah. I think number one, Brenton strange is still going to get the most snaps because he's the most proven run blocker of the group. So really it's about who gets the most receptions and receiving yards. And that guy's probably the same player. Like, right. I don't think you're going to have all three of those guys being major roles in the receiving core because there's so many other options in the offense. So it's going to come down to who wins that particular job. And that switched midway through last year where it was Brenton strange. And then it became Theo Johnson. And what does Tyler Warren have to say about that? Same. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, do you have a, do you have a pick between the three of who you think is going to be the, the receiver of the group? Uh, Theo Johnson. Yeah. Feels like it. I just, I love Tyler Warren. I, he, I just love the way he plays football, and I think he's going to – he might be – I don't know if he'll end up being the guy with the most snaps, but he'll be a surprise maybe second because he's, he's going to be a good run blocker this year. He's put in the work in the weight room, and he's getting more acclimated to the position. Yeah, they they got to figure it out. I mean, that's I, – I, I don't think they got enough um, – I, I hate saying this this way, but like I don't think they took enough criticism last year for what <laughs> that position group did they they yeah. just they weren't um they weren't the consistent factor that they need to be i think for penn state's offense to to reach its full potential yeah yeah and, and part of that is getting and i like all those guys just yeah no it's, right? it's like... so it's it's fair criticism so it's a balance of how much is on them to produce and how much is on them to produce the targets they get which are not always the most quality targets to produce on Sure. But I remember specific instances where there were contested catches near the goal line that these guys could have caught that they, that they didn't. There are plays that were, you know, not the most spectacular. So they need to, when the ball comes their way, catch it without fail. That's that's going to be determining whether or not they see more snaps from Clifford. Um, we don't have time for this question, but I wanted to bring this up. Who's the Penn State football Mount Rushmore for the 2010s? Uh, and I think it's pretty clear the top three in terms of most excellent football players. So we're not talking about fan favorites or, or guys that are meaningful, but like are both meaningful, best players. They're the whole thing. Saquon Barkley, Trace McSorley, and Allen Robinson would be the three. And then we were having a good conversation about the fourth. So how about this, Nate? Yeah. Instead of uh, us answering this question, put in the video here. Drop in who you think is the fourth player on the Mount Rushmore for Penn State in the 2010s. And uh, I'll, we'll, we'll read the best answer on the mailbag next week. PSU 1986, another new member. I love having new members. I love having new question askers. When building a football playoff caliber team, are you looking at hitting two or three classes in a row in recruiting? With the 2022 class as a top-ranked class, should... Uh, Penn State fans be looking at their junior senior year for a playoff run. I don't have a good answer to this question, Nate. I, 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 I do. Okay, please tell me. I, I ran the numbers from last year's national championship game, Alabama and Georgia. Four-year run for Georgia, if you averaged it out, 
mm-hmm. Georgia finished 2.1, I want to say. And Alabama was like 2.6. Uh, meaning Georgia Georgia had the best rolling four-year average in college football recruiting classes over that span. And Alabama had the second. And so it's not two or three. I think it's four. And then I think it's also... Uh, I think it's also how you do in the transfer portal for sure. Um, but the, the biggest takeaway from it was they didn't even hit on, you know, 80% of their five stars, right? Right. It's right. that, it's that you can, you collect, you amass this group of this talent, right? Yep. And so you don't have to be successful on every single one of those. When Penn state gets, two five stars, three five stars over a four-year span. If Georgia and Alabama are doing that every single year, it's yeah. it's a difference. It's a difference and it presents itself ultimately. So no, I mean I think I think that I so think that, can I can I counter with with a comparison yeah. here? Because I think it's a very it's a very good comparison when you're talking about Georgia and Alabama because they're competing directly with each other in their conference and Penn state has to, it's not just it's who you're recruiting against regionally. So Jason Moore, a Penn state regional player goes to Ohio state. That's a, that is not only our, it is, it is a, it is a net loss. It's not even kind of this ethereal loss of you lost a player. You directly lost somebody to your competition within your own division in your conference. And when you throw, uh, you know, so losing to Notre Dame, you want those players, but it's not a direct competition because you can get into the college football playoff if you win your conference. Yep. But Penn State can't get over Ohio State. They cannot match that. And if they can get on the same level where they're in the top five and they're competing and they're winning these battles where they don't lose Jason Moore every year, then they absolutely are on par with Ohio State. And that's part of the recruiting process that is important for Penn State to to reach that same level of competition when it comes to drawing players in. They got to win some of these direct recruiting battles on top of being just nationally in the top 10. And I think this year is a good step towards that, but they got to finish strong if they if we were if we're talking about college football playoff and all that stuff. Psychim asks. T. Frank, you get very enthusiastic about certain players who show excellent, exciting potential, but don't sugarcoat the opposite when a player is not developing. Uh, in this era of needing to add portal players to fill weaknesses on a roster, how do coaches handle situations where a player, for one reason or other, is not cutting it or showing the promise, perhaps, uh, that needs to transfer to a lower level of football? Um, I would have thought that I was sugarcoating it way more than I was. <laughs> I feel like I sugarcoat things a lot. Uh, maybe I'm just a huge jerk, Nate, and and, and I best. should I should be nicer. <laughs> there, there's nothing wrong with being kind. Carefrontations, I believe, is the word you call it, right? I believe so, so. Yeah, that's that is that it's 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 called a carefrontation. Yeah, going back and, to the and deep, being honest, that like yeah, I, I think that that the less that you, um. If, if you're if you're honest with your players as a coach it, 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 people take the hint yeah. right like because most of these guys are competitive they all want to play yeah. um you know so either in and if they don't then they need to extract themselves from college football so we have just a few minutes left here and just a reminder that Tony Rojas is making his college uh, decision live on youtube so if you are gonna watch if you're watching the bwi daily edition you've got some youtube watching to do because flip over to the i believe it's the fairfax high school youtube channel to watch that announcement and then if he picks penn state flip right back over here because we will have a breakdown of that i am not gonna be i'm gonna be busy this afternoon here on youtube because we'll have the breakdown of tony rojas committing to penn state if that is in fact what he does spencer we answered this question a little bit earlier i just wanted to show how great i am at photoshop um will clifford finish the season as a starter nate here's a great question i think these are back-to-back questions about the quarterback so these are two sides of the same coin so will he finish the season as a quarterback will any of the backups get quality playing time with the first string offense basically is penn state going to roll over any player any any teams this year to get their second and third string guys on the football field yes it's still it's still an uphill 
climb. I, I think there are maybe three or four teams on the schedule in the bottom 70 of FPI, right? So like yeah. expected to not be very good. Yeah, I, I'm look, it's it's just points. It's just points. If Penn State can yep. score points, then you're ahead by enough touchdowns, you know, four or five getting into yeah. the fourth quarter, then yes, you have an opportunity to do that. I don't hold it against, I, I don't think it's, James Franklin is very transparent about what it is, right? And what it is, is you have to hold a significant lead because it can get taken away very quickly in college yep. football. And you can't shift your mentality and put your starters back in. That's always a tough thing. Correct. You, you don't want to be in that situation. So that'll do it today for the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, Senior Editor, Nate Bauer. We are getting out of here so you can go find out the destiny of Penn State football and whether or not they can get that top 10 recruiting class coming up today with Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson tomorrow. As always, we'll be breaking down the recruiting information. Greg Pickle stepping in for Ryan Snyder tomorrow on Friday. The news of today, previewing the news of this weekend. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then.